Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. There's some things that there's no doubt about. A mother's love or love of parents for their kids, love of a spouse, one for the other. Uh, No doubt about gravity, no doubt about death, no doubt about taxes. Some things there's just no doubt about. Other things, doubt can find its way in and can creep in, whether it's mild doubt about whether the Vols are going to win another game or not this year, or or, or moderate doubt about uh, whether God hears my prayers or can heal my hurts, or whether it's more serious doubt like doubting my salvation, or is God really real? Can I, is he there? Can I trust him? Can I count on him? Do I know that to be true? Doubt is a part of life, but it shouldn't be for the believer. At least it shouldn't be spiritually. Turn to Matthew chapter 14. If you will, we're going to look today at these verses 25 to 32, 33, sorry, and uh, see what we can glean from this idea, this story of, of Jesus walking on the water and Peter coming to him. You've heard the story. Great story. Let's, let's share that together. Shortly before dawn, verse 25, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Four things today from this text about doubt that I want us to see. First of which is this, is that doubt assumes the worst. Doubt assumes the worst. Look at 25 and 26 again. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. When the disciples saw him on the lake, they were terrified. Now, what I want you to try to do today is to put yourself on the lake in that boat in the the pre-dawn hours with the disciples. It's it's likely foggy. I live on the water, and fog is is a very common occurrence in the morning on the water. It's likely foggy in the pre-dawn hours, and... You can see shapes and things, but you can't see a lot of detail. And so here comes this guy, not walking side to side, left to right, but walking directly toward them. And they're jumping to the conclusion, assuming the worst here. Uh, Let's also consider that these guys were probably the tough guys in town. They they carried knives as a part of their fishing trade. Uh, Were were burly men. Uh, In fact, it makes me think about... uh, Vince, a trip you and I had to Nicaragua where we were going to go down and share with, with the men in the fishing area the gospel. And Eric and Melissa, or especially Melissa, said, I don't know if I'd go down there if I were you, if I, if I were you all. Those guys are pretty rough. So Vince and I weren't, weren't or Vince wasn't intimidated by that. I don't know whether I was or not, but, but I had Vince with me. So 
I said, Vinny, let's go. So we go down to, and share with these guys. And, uh, and they were pretty rough around the edges, but once they started hearing about Jesus and having, having the gospel shared with them, it, it, was, just, it was just a, a different story altogether. And so person to person, we talked to probably six or eight guys there. Uh, some, some were inebriated, had been inebriated all night long, or, or fish all night and drink all day, kind of the lifestyle there. Some, some of them were, were sober enough to hear what we were saying and listen to us very intently. And, um, but rough folks need Je- rough around the edges folks need Jesus too. And, and so we, uh, Vince and I were grateful to have the opportunity to share with those guys that day the gospel. Uh, they, they, they know now at least uh, where to turn to if, if they're ready to receive Jesus. But these guys were here were kind of rough around the edges too. That's uh, what most fishermen are. Um, as I said, carried knives as a part of their trade. Yet, consider with me that none of it, 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 we don't see in this story that um, the, the, the 12 in the boat see this guy walking toward them. In fact, hear his voice speaks to them. And it doesn't dawn on them, there's 12 of them and one of him. You ever think about that? Never dawns on them that they can vastly have, whoever this is or whatever this is, have it vastly outnumbered and they're carrying weapons and he's walking them on the water, just ho-dee-ho-ho. Never dawns on them. <clears throat> they assume the power of the one is greater than the power of the 12. You and I make assumptions like that all the time in life, that that is more powerful than my God, that this is more powerful than my God. We make those kind of assumptions. They assume the worst. Uh, they assume that the one had more power than the 12. I wonder where that pessimism comes from. Uh, pessimism can weave its way into our lives. It's, it's, uh, it's oftentimes based in falsehood, based in fear, based in lies. And where is that initiated? From our enemy, the devil. He's the one who, who's, who the scripture says is the master liar, the father of every lie. So if we're ever going to get unstuck from doubt, we're going, going to have to stop assuming the worst and start to assume God's got this. He's big enough for whatever my circumstances are, whatever I face today, whatever's around the next corner, he can handle it. God's got it. We have, if we're going to kill this, this demon of doubt and get unstuck, we're going to have to stop assuming the worst. Secondly, doubt not only assumes the worst, but doubt doesn't listen well. Doubt doesn't listen well. Look at 27 and 28 again. He says, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me and I'll come to you on the water. Lord, if it's you, Tell me, and, I, and I'm out of the boat coming to you. Notice that Jesus had just told him, take courage. It's, I, it's me. It's Jesus. Take courage. And Peter's first response is, Lord, if it's you. Now, these folks, had, these, these guys had walked with him, knew this, knew, recognized his voice, had been with him for, for some, some time, and surely recognized the voice of him walking, take courage, take courage. Don't worry, it's me. Peter's response is, if it's you, can I get out of the boat and walk toward you? And, of course, you know Jesus' response. He said, yes, you can. He, he gets out. Peter and those guys had definitely spent enough time with him to recognize his voice. But what Peter was hearing was being processed through, through a brain filtered by what he was seeing. What he was seeing was, this is water. Nobody walks on water. What he, what he was hearing was, that's Jesus. He can do anything. But this is water and nobody walks on water. But that's Jesus and he, he can do anything. But this is water and nobody walks on water. 
what he, what he was seeing, what he was processing was going, to, going through a brain filtered by his circumstance. You and I do that often as well. Instead of hearing his voice, we watch his circumstances. Uh, they were seeing this, they were allowing the, the visual circumstances to overpower the voice of Jesus. We do that a lot. We allow a, a diagnosis of cancer to overpower the voice of Jesus. We allow a, a, a marriage trouble to, to, to squelch out the voice of Jesus. Financial trouble, the power of addiction. Heck, sometimes we allow a train crossed on the tracks down here on Sundays to snuff out the voice of Jesus for us. It's easy to do, to look at our circumstances and say, where's God and where, where, where's his voice? And Peter was standing there watching him, hearing him at the same time, yet doubted because of the circumstances around him, what he saw around him. When we don't listen well, we give the enemy far more power than he deserves, far more power than he possesses. But when God is speaking to us, whether it's by way of his word, whether it's by way of his spirit, whether it's by way of a messenger or a friend, when God is speaking, we'd do well to listen, regardless of what our circumstances are saying. Recognize and hear the voice of God hear what he's trying to say to us because doubt doesn't listen well. It assumes the worst. It doesn't listen well. Thirdly, doubt focuses in the wrong direction. It focuses in the wrong direction. Look at 29 and 30 again. He says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. Now, what I want us to see here is the proper focus helps achieve the proper follow-through. Proper focus helps achieve proper follow-through. What am I talking about? Consider with me, if you will, Peter's first two moves. His first move was to get down out of the boat. Tremendous courage, tremendous bravery. If it's you, let me come. Come. Gets down out of the boat. Hard decision. Standing on top of the water out of the boat. Pretty cool place to be. Second decision is to take a step or two. So you can imagine Peter's trepidation as he steps on the water and takes another step. Uh-oh. Well, the next church isn't going to like that. We'll get it. He takes a step or two and probably starts to grow in confidence like you and I would with the next step or the third or the fourth. Hey, this is some pretty cool stuff. And he's walking on water. And he's walking toward Jesus. And then the wind gets his attention. He takes his eyes off of the Savior and starts to look at the wind and starts to see, and these waves are white capping. This is a rough wind, but he's getting closer to Jesus. But the wind is stronger. But every step's closer to Jesus. But the white caps are on the waves, and they could turn me. But he's getting closer. You see the struggle that's going on in his mind that you and I have that same struggle because we're focused in the wrong direction. We start to lose sight of the things we need to be looking at. He, he sees the waves, and they're, they're white capping. But his great start didn't get him to his destination. A great start will seldom get us to the destination. It's about follow-through. And follow-through is all about where we're focused. If, I, if, if he had kept his eyes on the Lord instead of on the waves, no problem. His faith would have been stronger with every step. He'd have got to Jesus, probably had a, had a, a short party there when he got to Jesus, and, and the two of them walked back to the boat safely. But he takes his eyes off of the Lord and starts to look at the circumstance. Danger starts to happen in your life and my life when we take our eyes off of him and start to look at, at, at our circumstance because he, our circumstance oftentimes looks far bigger than our God. And it, it was for him because he saw the waves and the white caps and the wind. 
And there he was walking on the water in the middle of all that and forgets about all that and starts to look at the waves, starts to look at the circumstances around him. But a great start doesn't finish destination. Finish is about focus. And here's what the Bible has to say about that. I want to share with you a couple of passages. Second uh, Corinthians 4, Hebrews 12. Second Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 says this, Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, watch this. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now listen to these words in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, speaking about chapter 11 in the roll call of faith, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, finisher of our faith, the beginning, the end of our faith. That's what focus is to, is to look like. To, to, to focus on the unseen, not the seen. To focus on the one who is bigger than our circumstances, not on our circumstances. It's all about focus. Get, getting rid of doubt is about focus because doubt focuses in the wrong direction. If we're focused on our present circumstances, doubt's going to win every time. Every time. But if our focus is on the one that's bigger than our circumstances, there's seldom room for doubt to find its way in. Seldom room for it, for it to find its way in. Fourthly, doubt assumes the worst. It doesn't listen well and it focuses in the wrong direction. But finally, doubt dis disappears in Jesus' presence. It disappears in Jesus' presence. Look at verses 32 and 33 again. It says, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. Consider this, that in the sight of the rest of these disciples, Jesus walks Peter back to the boat in the midst of the wind. He says the wind doesn't die down until they get back in the boat. So the wind's whirling, it's whispering around, the waves are white-capping. Jesus reaches down and grabs the hand of Peter, pulls him up, and they're walking back to the boat in the midst of the wind before the wind died down. Now, could Jesus stop the wind when he grabbed Peter's hand? Absolutely could have. Why didn't he do that? Because he wanted the other 11 to see, I've got you in a storm. I can squelch the storm anytime I want. I can get rid of the storm anytime I want to. But what I want you to see is the bigger lesson is I've got you in the storm. Not can you alleviate the storm. We know he can alleviate the storm, whether he, whether he caused it or allowed it. The bigger lesson there is, doesn't matter how, how big the storm is, where it comes from, where it's sourced, where, where, whether it's, it's financial, whether it's marital, whether it's relational, whether it's vocational, doesn't matter where the storm's coming from, I've got you in the storm. I'm good to have you in the storm. He wanted to see Peter's faith in walking back to the boat with Jesus with the waves still, still crashing and the white caps still, still occurring. And their fear should have been squelched. There's Jesus. There's Peter. The storm's still there. We're all good. They don't see that, though. Their fear is still there until he gets back in the boat and the wind and waves die down. Then they say, truly, you're the Son of God. Our fear is misplaced when he's, when he's with us. Uh, the, the lesson could have been missed there uh, that the Lord never promises a storm-free life, but that he promises to be with us in the midst of the storm, in the middle of the storm. 
I would say that once Jesus grabbed the hand of Peter, Peter's doubt was gone. But the other 11 wasn't. They, they continued to doubt until the storm died down, until Jesus got in the boat. Uh, it's, it, it is, uh, th- th- this thing of Jesus' presence is significant. Listen to this verse in Psalm 46, chapter 1. You, you know this. Many of you have memorized this verse, marked it in, in, in your copy of the Scripture. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. He is the help in the midst of the storm. He is the help in the midst of any trouble, he says. So if it's the presence of God displaying the power of God, in essence, if if, if his power is tied to his presence, then an ever-powerful God, an ever-present God, is also ever-powerful. If his power is tied to his presence, and it is, as we see there in Psalms and and various places throughout Scripture, wherever God is is a safe place, regardless of the risk that you're in, in the middle of in the moment. Regardless of what the circumstances are, wherever he is, is a safe place. He's got you in the middle of all of that. You can count on his safety. You can count on his protection, regardless of what the circumstances are saying, regardless of whether it seems in the moment to be unsafe and dangerous if he's with us, and he is, if we know him. His power is tied to his presence. Those two can never separate. So wherever he is, his presence in our heart, we have his power in our heart with us as well. Jesus presence causes doubt to disappear. Okay, as we wrap, consider this with me. That the origins of doubt are tied to the reality that I'm not enough. The origins of doubt are tied to the reality that says I'm not enough. Whatever it is, I don't have enough smarts. I don't have enough wherewithal. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough. I I, I am incapable of fixing my problem. I'm incapable of, my, of making my circumstances change or go away or be gone. I'm not enough in this, in this situation. Here's, here's the real truth. You're not enough. <laughs> and that's a great place to start. He is enough, though. You're never enough. He is. But you're not being enough is a great starting place. His being enough is the, is, is the desired ending place. And if he is not enough, if you're not enough on the start, he's not enough on the end. There's no room for doubt in there anywhere. If you realize, I can't do this, but he can. Everything in between squeaks doubt out of the way. It squeezes doubt out of the equation because I have to come to grips, and we, we do this daily. i got, I, I got to come to grips with, I can't do this. I can't fix this. I can't make this go away. But he's enough. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's enough. I can't see around the next corner, but he's enough. Everything in between, I can't do it, but he can. Squeezes doubt out of the picture. If we'll admit those two places. That's, that's the hard thing for us to admit. I can't do it. I can't. Probably the bigger, harder to admit is God doesn't need my help. And I want you to hear today, he doesn't need your help. Sometimes he, he wants it and wants to train you and, and, and guide you and direct you through, through a hard place, teaching you lessons along the way about him and about yourself. But don't think he needs your help to do that. He doesn't. You're inadequate. You're not enough. He's adequate. He's enough every time. Let's pray. Father, today would you cause us to put doubt on the run by understanding these four truths. But more importantly, it disappears in your presence. And those of us who know you as Savior have your presence in our heart in the form of the Holy Spirit. Those of us who don't are in a great place today because we can pray to receive you right here today in this moment and at this time. 
But your presence displays the power and flushes doubt down the toe. It's gone. Why? Because we realize we're not enough. We're incapable. Peter realizes stepping out of the boat, I'm incapable. I can't do this. But Jesus can, and there he is standing on the water. If my faith is enough, I can go to him. He says, come, I start walking, and here I go. I'm walking on the lake. My, the, the, the power, though, is in the presence that there he is, not in the fact that I can walk on water. It's in him. We see that we're not enough, but we realize that he is everything, and he is enough for every need, every moment, every circumstance, every problem, every hurt, every loss, that he's enough. There should never be room in our lives for doubt. It's from the enemy. It's a cancer, and he will cause it to grow and fester over, over, over years that turn into decades, and we think, how did I get here? Being so indecisive, being unwilling to make a decision, being, being afraid of saying the wrong thing, making the wrong decision, heading in the wrong direction, and doubt grips me with fear. We didn't get there overnight. We got there over time. But we can get out over, over time as well. It takes us waking up each day and saying, Lord, I don't have it, but you do, and I trust you. And getting the next day and saying, I don't have it, but you do, and I trust you. Trusting in the things that we can't see over the things that we can. And our doubt runs and flees from there because Satan can't, can't do battle with you. Help us to see the truth of that today and take enough courage to step into it, live it, and walk it out and get unstuck with doubt in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.